Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today I want to deal with perhaps the most controversial issue uh, in theological circles. So I want you to put your thinking caps on, but it's got very practical application for us. And it, this is the issue of whether our salvation is determined by the sovereignty of God or the free will of man. Generally, people fall into two camps. Arminians take the starting point of human free will, that we're saved because it's our choice. Calvinists take their starting point as God's sovereignty, that you're saved because God chose you to be saved. On the surface, it seems like these are like opposites and mutually exclusive. One must be right, the other wrong. We're either saved because God chose us for salvation or because we chose Christ. That is, we chose to believe and receive Christ. Which is it? And this has been the cause of many divisions in church history. Both sides are confident they're right because they've got a lot of strong scriptures that support their case, but they struggle a bit to handle the scriptures on the other side. Um, sometimes people just assert, well, both are right. Sovereignty of God and man's free will. It's just that we don't understand how both could be right at the same time. Um, how could God sovereignly decree some for salvation and yet we, that we have genuine free will? But today I want to share with you what I believe is the solution to this paradox, how you can believe in both at the same time. My starting point is Arminian, but I want to do justice to both sides. After all, we are very aware of our free will and that we chose to trust Christ. Uh, and the scripture does say God wants all men to be saved. Uh, you know, the Lord's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And that God, our Saviour, desires all men to be saved. And it says that Jesus died for all men, that he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so that doesn't seem to fit with the Calvinist view that God has chosen some to be saved and therefore others to be damned. And also, the Bible says God loves the whole world and he offers salvation for all, so that whosoever believes shall be saved. God so loved the, all the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, whosoever, should not perish but have eternal life. That doesn't seem to fit well with the Calvinist assertion that God's already predetermined who will be saved. And so the standard Calvinist view seems to, you know, deny any real freedom of choice. It kind of says only God really has free will. Uh, you know, if God chose who would be saved, even before we were born, then surely any, our, any choice we make is just an illusion, because God's already decided it. Now, the Arminian would agree, God is sovereign, he can do what he wants, he's got that freedom. But we would also add that God sovereignly chose to make us in his image, and therefore, if God is sovereign, we're in his image. We have genuine sovereignty over our own life. We have that freedom of choice. And God respects that. He never undermines it, even if it means us going to hell. The Calvinist would say that our salvation is totally based in the sovereign grace of God. That way, only God gets the glory, since uh, even our faith is the result of God's irresistible grace working on our souls. And so we can't claim any credit at all. But on the other hand, is God really glorified by the idea that he sends multitudes to hell who had no real choice over the issue? 
their fate was sealed, their doom made certain before they were even born because God sovereignly chose not to save them. And so that raises a moral issue concerning God's righteousness. And I personally could never accept, you know, I, the theology that says that God arbitrarily chose some to be saved and others to be lost. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. And God is righteous in all his dealings with men. So that's a real problem. I have to believe that God gave man genuine free will to accept or reject his grace. Otherwise, we're just robots. What's the point? To understand the difference between these two views a bit better, let's look at the five points of Calvinism known as TULIP. That's an acronym. T stands for total depravity. And that means that sin has so corrupted man and undermined his free will, he's so lost in the darkness that without God's grace, he couldn't possibly come to God and be saved. So he can't manage that by himself. But the Arminian would, believe, would, would agree with that, but would add that actually, although he is lost in his sin uh, and can't come to God by himself, yet God's spirit strives with all men and draws all men to God, making it possible for all men to be saved if they respond to the light that God gives. So it, total depravity doesn't mean Calvinism has to be true because God's spirit works on all men. The you, tulip, you is unconditional election. This is the key one, really. This means that from eternity, God elected or chose certain people to be saved and by default the rest not to be saved. It's unconditional which means it's not based on any kind of qualities in the person, not even in their faith, but just on the sovereign will of God. This is also really known as foreknowledge, that God chose to know personally or set his love upon the elect before the foundation of the world. Foreknowledge is, is a personal thing. He, God chose to know certain people in love. Then those who he foreknew, he predestined to be saved. That's, that's the view. And there are scriptures, I have to say, that really seem to support this, this point. Arminians, of course, struggle with this because it seems to eliminate man's free will. It also implies a double predestination. God didn't just predestine some to be saved, but he therefore predestined others to be lost. Whether he did that deliberately or but it, the effect is the same. And so Arminians have a different way of interpreting this word foreknowledge. They say it means that God knew beforehand who would believe, and on that basis, he then chose and predestined them to receive salvation. And that way, they preserve free will. But it means our salvation ultimately is based on our choice rather than God's choice. Now, that's the U. What about the L? That stands for limited atonement. And that means that Christ, that some Calvinists believe that Christ did not die for the whole world, but just for the elect. Not, they don't all believe that because it actually contradicts the scriptures in a very obvious way. Uh, but they, many Calvinists think, well, it would make no sense for Christ to die for all people because what's the point of him dying for those whom, you know, God has already chosen to be lost. That would be a waste of effort, as it were. Uh, then the I is irresistible grace. Sounds good. 
Those whom God sovereignly elected must be saved, and so it implies that God must work in his grace to save them. And since they must be saved, this grace must be irresistible. So however much a man might resist, in the end it's futile because God's grace on his soul is irresistible. But this contradicts free will. As it were, God forces the elect to be saved. Um, Arminians would say that God's grace is resistible. God does pursue us in his love, but he doesn't force his love and his grace upon us. And then the P, the last one, is the perseverance of the saints. This is usually put as once saved, always saved. For a Calvinist, the unconditional election means the elect must be saved. And this requires that they believe and they persevere in their believing until the end. And so God's grace guarantees their perseverance. If someone falls away and doesn't persevere in faith, that means that they weren't elect in the first place. But then, while they're alive, they might still repent and prove to be the elect after all. And so, but on the other hand, Arminians tend to believe that it is possible to lose your salvation, even if it's not easy. But if you reject Christ, you allow sin to so rule your heart that you end up rejecting Christ, you can lose your salvation. So these deal with very important issues. The main issue is this foreknowledge. It all starts with God's foreknowledge or unconditional election. And, uh, and it doesn't seem to fit with free will. But on my personal journey, I came across some scriptures that I just couldn't get around. I couldn't explain, really, from the Armenian viewpoint. And the key scripture that really got me was Ephesians 1.4, that says, He chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. And this talks about election, God choosing us to be saved from before the foundation of the world. And this is a, this is a far-reaching statement, because it says we're chosen as it were, to be in his bride, to be saved, before the foundation of the world. But even before the issue of your salvation, even your existence, if you think about it, is so unlikely. What if your parents decided not to make love on the night you were conceived? What if, for some reason, they, they never met? Um, what if a different sperm, rather than your sperm, but a different sperm penetrated the egg? And then go back in time. What if your great-great-great-grandfather and mother didn't meet? In fact, if you think about it deeply enough, your existence is highly unlikely. You know, somebody would exist, but it wouldn't be you. And in fact, you're either extremely lucky to exist, or God exercised a very high degree of sovereignty. And if he chose you to exist and be saved from before the foundation of the world, God has to control history massively, which is what the Calvinists believe. And so this doesn't seem to fit with the Arminian universe that depends almost entirely on human free will. And, and more than that, the Arminian view of foreknowledge doesn't agree with the scriptural use of the word. And I want to just talk about this because it's the key word. The Arminian says it just speaks of omniscience. It's just the fact that God knows in advance what's going to happen. But actually, the, the, when the word is used in the Bible, it actually doesn't speak about the mind of God. It speaks about the will and the purpose of God, that God wills or predetermines something to happen. For example, Acts 2.23, Christ being delivered by the determined 
purpose and foreknowledge of God, that's that word, you've taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Jesus was killed, but it was in the plan of God, foreknowledge. And 1 Peter 1.20 translates it as foreordained, and that's correct. Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So, when this word foreknowledge is applied to people, it actually means to set your heart upon someone, to set your love upon someone. You know, like when a man sees a woman, uh, he actually sets his love upon her. Um, he, he chooses her. And that's what the word foreknowledge means. And then he tries to draw her to himself. And so when it says God foreknew us in eternity, it means he set his heart and his love upon us and then draws us to himself. And so this agrees with the Calvinist view. It, says, talks, it talks about this in terms of Israel. Deuteronomy 7 says, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. See, God chose Israel out of the other nations. God did not set his love upon you or chose you because you were more in number than the other people because you weren't. Amos 3.2, this is the foreknowledge now. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Speaking of Israel, of course, he, God knew about all the nations. But here it's the word know is used in terms of a personal relationship. I have a personal covenant relationship with you. Uh, and, and so foreknowledge means to, 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 to beforehand to choose to set your love upon a certain person. And Romans 11.2 says, God has not cast away his people Israel, whom he foreknew. You see, he chose them. They're the chosen nation. Foreknowledge and election are pretty much the same thing. And so, God, biblically, God's foreknowledge means he decided beforehand to know us personally, set his love upon us, and draw us to himself. Like he said to Jeremiah, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you. That's God's foreknowledge. Before he was even born, God knew him. He chose him. He says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. See, God, God's love for us starts in eternity, before we're even born. Somehow, he chose us to exist and he set his love upon us. He says, I loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. And so this is talking about the divine romance. God loved us from eternity, before we were born, based on his foreknowledge that he loved, set his love on us from eternity, he chose us for himself to be his bride. And that's the doctrine of election. And that's what 1 Peter 1.2, it says, uh, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so that tells us, you know, if that's true, that gives us great consolation. And that's why... Uh, you know, Calvinists will love this doctrine because it means we have an assurance of God's love, that God specially chose us. We have a special place in his heart and he, he has set his love upon us from eternity and we are secure in that love. The greatest statement of foreknowledge, I guess, is Romans 8, 29. It says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called through the gospel. 
And whom he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So God here is seen to be sovereignly and relentlessly accomplishing our salvation from start to finish. We only became aware of him working when he called us to himself. But it, this says it actually began in eternity past when God foreknew us, he chose us, and then he predestined us for salvation. This is the romance of redemption. He set his love on his bride and then he, he worked his plan to win her to himself and to overcome all obstacles. And he woos her, he wins her, he sanctifies her, and he glorifies her. And that is the wonderful romance of redemption. And Ephesians talks like this as well. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestined us, he says. And then he says, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory through trusting in Christ. And so he chose us, then he predestined us, and now he's sovereignly working all things together to accomplish his purpose that we should be to the praise of his glory. So if we're saved, this gives us great assurance that we are the chosen objects of God's infinite love. Uh, but it doesn't seem to leave any room for free will. And if there is no free will, the whole thing is meaningless. And uh, our love for God is just an illusion. It's without value. So I, I hope I've done justice to both sides of this issue before now giving you another way of thinking that solves the problem, the paradox, and I believe preserves the best of both viewpoints, that fully affirms free will, but also affirms divine sovereignty. And to try and think around this, we need to start about, put ourselves in God's shoes, as it were, God's sovereign choice in eternity, before the world even existed. And I believe the problem with the two views I've shared, they lack imagination. But why? Because we're so locked into this universe and this reality that we struggle to imagine any other universe or reality. We, don't, we find it hard to imagine what it's like for, to be God living outside of time and to imagine the kind of choices he had before he created this universe. And so we tend to assume uh, that when God speaks of choosing us from before the foundation of the world, it means he looked at all the people in this universe and chose some of them to be saved and some not. But as we said, that would be unjust and it violates free will. But if you put yourself into God's shoes, that's not the choice that God had before creation. And this is my big thought right now. God in his omniscience, he knows everything, didn't just know all things that would happen in this universe, but he knows all possible outcomes or all possible universes. In other words, the choice that God had was not just the limited number of people within this universe, but he had the infinite choice of all kinds of people that might live in all possible universes. I hope you've got that. To solve the paradox, we have to understand God's election is not limited to this universe. And, and, and so the standard view limits God's omniscience and his sovereignty. What do I mean? Let's show this from the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty three that Capernaum, the people of Capernaum, will be brought down to Hades. They'll be judged. For if the mighty works were done in you that had been done in Sodom, it would have remained till this day. So Jesus knew uh, 
something about an alternative universe where he didn't he came at a different time and he came to the people of Sodom in the time of Abraham and that if he would have done the miracles there they would have repented how could Jesus know that the father revealed it but how could God know if that situation never happened the answer is that in God's omniscience he doesn't just know everything that happens in this universe he knows all possible outcomes all possible universes and that opens our mind to a whole new realm of possibilities in other words before the foundation of the world God saw all the different possible universes he could create and all the different beings that would develop from that universe in romantic terms which is the biblical language um, what's interesting to him from each universe is the bride that it creates. See, each universe will bring forth a group of people who will love him and be his bride. And in the end, that universe will be destroyed. So all that is left in the end is, is the bride that is brought forth. And the people who are redeemed, who have chosen to love him. And so God would have looked at all the different universes, which are like the frames of, of a picture in a picture gallery, and each of those universes would have had a beautiful bride as the main star of that picture. And what the choice that he did was not a choice within a picture, but he looked at all the pictures and chose the one bride that he wanted. And once he chose, and that's his election, once he chose the bride that he wanted for himself, then he spoke that particular universe into existence, and that's what he did, and, that, and that's us. Isn't that amazing? That's logically necessary if you think about it, that that was the choice that God made. And so he's not choosing who will be saved and who will be lost, as we said, there's a problem with that. But he is choosing one bride from many possible brides. Like a rich man who's got it all, and he's a beautiful man, everything perfect about him, uh, and he can choose from any woman in the world. And, uh, and also, supernaturally, he knows that some women will accept him and, and he knows the others that will reject him. But even so, there's loads of women there that, that would accept him, and he chooses the one woman that he wants. And that's what God did. He made that choice, the one bride he wanted out of all possible brides. And then he spoke into existence the universe that produced that particular bride. And of course, that is our universe. Now, if you think about it, that's awesome because it means he chose a particular bride, which means he chose you. If he didn't want you and the precise you that makes you you, then he, could have, he would have created a different universe slightly different even, but it didn't include you in the bride. But that means he wanted you. He chose you from before the foundation of the world. And he spoke into, the, into existence the universe in which you would exist and be part of that bride. That means you are spe very special to him. Praise God. And, you know, if you think about all possible universes... Many of them, most of them, would have been non-starters because they wouldn't have supported life. And so God only chose the universes that physical laws could support life. And that's why scientists have been amazed how much our universe is fine-tuned to support life. That's the reason. God chose it for his bride. And um, God could have created a universe as well with beings that didn't have much free will or no free will. That would have had the advantage 
there would have been no sin, no fall, no suffering. But the lack of free will would have meant an absence of love because love only arises from free will. And so this universe might produce a bride, but it would not be of any value. So God limited his choice to universes of beings that had maximum free will, beings made in his image. Only that universe could bring forth a bride that could satisfy and delight his heart. But because of free will, when you have a lot of free will, sin is almost inevitable and infecting the majority of these universes with suffering and death. But God would even work that for good because that sin afforded him the opportunity to display his love, his glory, his humility in a way that he couldn't have done in a sinless universe by actually demonstrating something awesome that he inc incarnated himself into his creation and became a man and laid down his life in his love to redeem his bride, resulting in her loving him all the more because he saved her from her sin and died for her. And so the end result is a far more glorious bride and a, more, a greater glory to the bridegroom. And so that explains really why the universe is, is as it is. It's not perfect because of the fall. To have the most glorious bride, God would be limited to the free will universes of beings made in his image who'd fallen under the power of sin, but he would redeem with his blood. And then, even then, there would be an infinite number of brides corresponding to the infinite number of potential universes. And then he decreed our universe to exist, which means he chose you personally to exist rather than someone else. And that is awesome. You must be awesome. And so that was that view I want you to see upholds both sets of scriptures on both sides of the argument. It upholds our free will because the universe God chose was a free will universe where we're made in the image of God and anyone who who is saved is because they chose to receive Christ. If they're lost it's because they chose to reject Christ and uh, it isn't because God predetermined that they would do that. But it also upholds divine sovereignty because actually it, it's more sovereignty than even the standard Calvinistic view because God sovereignly chose not just out of a few billion people in this universe, but God actually chose us out of an infinite number of possible choices of all the different possible universes. He chose us to exist and that gives us an awesome value that God chose you to exist. He loves you. And you must be so precious and important to him. And so we have the benefits of knowing the sovereignty of God as well. Hello, I want to introduce you to my latest CD series, eight CDs on the fruit of the spirit. What could be more important than growing the fruit of love, joy and peace in your life? And that's this series takes you in depth into God's word and how to draw upon the spirit of God. To become more like Jesus. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. 
You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.